Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskospo. March Madness is upon us. Uh, Selection Sunday as we record this. Um, We're going to have our annual chat with our resident bracketologist, Scott Sepich, coming up in just a little bit. Um, Looking forward to kind of breaking down this men's bracket uh, kind of piece by piece with him, as as we always do. But there's another bracket that we need to talk about first, and a bracket with a pretty large (sighs) vacancy on it. Um, The women's bracket, which does not have Northwestern on it. Uh, kind of a, a you know, real, real bummer. And then we, we just come to find that uh, they're not going to be playing in the NIT, the WNIT or any of the other uh, postseason tournaments. That's a wrap for the season uh, for the women's team. That's a wrap for the Northwestern career of uh, one Veronica Burton, who we will absolutely be seeing playing over the summer in the WNBA. But uh, definitely a, a bummer. Not to be able to see her, you know, one more time or two more times in the uh, NCAA tournament. It is. It's. It's. It's all a bummer. And and inside baseball, full disclosure. I mean, we're recording this on Sunday night. We specifically set this recording time, um, not just because it was a good time to have Scott on, but also because we knew the selection show was going to be happening. Um, I think our initial thought, and based on a read, was that effectively it was practically a coin flip. And we were kind of prepared for that. What caught us a little bit by surprise was the WNIT piece of it. Because we had tweeted it out and kind of mapped it out in our own minds. That look, there's a chance here that um, Northwestern may not only be a, a number one seed in the WNIT. They may potentially be like the number one overall seed in the WNIT. And there was a whole period of time where I think like 2017, 18, 19 where um, the team that won the NIT that year in the format they're using hosted every game the entire way all the way through, and we're envisioning a potential scenario like that for Northwestern. So we were thinking, look, potential coin flip, the tourney is what we want, but we're thinking, okay, look, like um, there's, like there is a real silver lining here if this works out. And then I think what started to kind of tilt us was today um, – Eric Rinston Lobel with WNUR Sports, who has previously done an interview series with Coach McEwen, had Coach McEwen on and asked him straight up, like, if the NCAA doesn't work out, you know, will you guys be accepting a WNIT bid? And Coach McEwen didn't say no, but I would say it's it would not be hard to look at the way he answered the question. And, you know, in our minds, some kind of clouds were really gathering and we were like, oh boy, there's a chance that if Northwestern doesn't get into the tournament, we're not accepting a WNIT bid. And like Sam said, that's what happened. But it was it was a bummer. And I think we, at the end of the day, I think ESPN's Bracketology had it pretty well on. It seemed like Northwestern was competing with Dayton, I feel like, and potentially, I want to say Missouri State. West for, Virginia too, I think maybe. Yeah, for some of those 11 seed spots. And it was going to be one of those or it was not going to happen. And as the brackets were going, Dayton got one of those 11 seeds right off the bat. And it was starting to look kind of... And then, yeah, it, it, it didn't shake out. So, yeah, it, it all... Again, great season, but 
are just a real bummer, not only for the team, but for, for all of Northwestern nations who's rooted this team on. It's, it's, it sucks, uh, for, for all the obvious reasons. Um, I think, you know, one, one of the things that is interesting about the WNIT, and this is something that we've kind of learned, I think, uh, over the course of this week is that, um, you need to tell the WNIT you're interested in advance. So, you know, this is, this is probably a decision that Northwestern has, you know, made uh, ahead of time to, to say, you know, we're NCAA or bust. Um, you know, th- th- there's a lot of teams that have done this in the past, you know, Mich- Mississippi state um, who had a, uh, a really special player in uh, Nikki McCray Penson uh, uh, last year. Um, did the same thing, uh, turned down, turned down the, the NI, the WNIT, uh, costs, travel costs in particular are the number one thing that is cited. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> like we don't know what conversations went on or what, what variables were at play, but, um, I think, and there's an interesting dovetail of some of the conversations going on around the men's team right now too, but like, on one hand, it's easy to say, "Oh, well, we would have had a bunch of home games, and we would have made enough gate to cover those." And you just you just don't know what the like what the opportunity costs are that 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 are happening there, or what the experience might be like for the players. We also know that the the that that this would have really conflicted with finals. I think when you look at the Northwestern calendar, so there's a lot of stuff going on. I think a lot of people have questions. You know, hopefully we'll find we'll find out more in the coming days. Um, but it is what it is, and it and it and it does suck. I think. Um, you know, there's there's some other teams that were certainly high on that snub factor from the uh, from the big dance, and it feels like Northwestern, you know, with just one more conference win or, or maybe that DePaul win that you mentioned, John, could have could have gotten there, and it's um, it's really too bad because this this does cap like the most successful you know three years of Northwestern women's basketball ever. Um, Burton, you know, P- Pulliam was an incredible. Uh, player in her own right, but Burton has really cemented her status as one of the best to ever wear uh, Northwestern's uniform. And um, it's going to be, you know, a new era going forward. And that doesn't mean that the team doesn't have a ton of talent and a ton of potential, but um, it is, uh, it is worth kind of stepping back and just, you know, tipping your cap to, to what an incredible career uh, Burton had. And, and, you know, to Sam, to your point, like, She's going to continue playing basketball, and we'll be able to continue to watch her, and that's pretty exciting. And let's also not forget the other four seniors on the team: Sydney Wood, Lauren Satterwhite, Courtney Shaw, and Jess Sancatalo. Fair. Um, you know, you know, that that's five players who you know played in the most successful four year, four or five year stint in Northwestern women's basketball history. I, I, I that's. I mean, you can't you can't sell that in short. You know that is you know the you know ah I'm I'm I, I'm at loss for words because yeah, I'm just really frustrated and it's, it's just such a bummer. I know it stinks, and you know you specifically you think about that, and I think we've all watched in any of the women's or the men's in the selection shows, right? And there's the period of time early on where they show all of the screens at once, right? Everyone who's waiting. And you know that a lot of that, that some of those screens are going to get bad news. And you never really see those teams, right? Because they don't focus on them because they show you everyone who got in. Well, Northwestern was one of those teams up on the screen. I mean, we tweeted it out earlier in the evening. And that just stinks because, you know, 
we know. Like we all saw them sitting in Welsh Ryan. We know where they were sitting and we know how that played out for them. And it just, it sucks. Scuzz said it right. Like that just for that group, right? To have it end that way, um, you know, sitting in those seats and, and not getting the the call that they want. It is, it's such a bummer. And and then, you know, Scuzz, you mentioned it too, the, the idea potentially of having to kind of put in for these early on and, you know, this WNIT piece of it, right? And and again, we don't know the machinations, but I almost wonder, like you said, there could be a finals piece of this, an academic piece of this. Maybe they're looking at, you know, the previous NIT and being like, look, this ended up being like a real thing that we had to deal with, you know, as they were going on this run. Part of me wonders if that's the case. Part of me wonders whatever the timetable was, if they would have known at the time that they'd be hosting every game and if that would have potentially changed the calculus at all. Um, and, and, you know, we may never know the answer to that question. Um, but I think from a strictly basketball standpoint, relative to a potential, you know, WNIT, I think of what Veronica Burton did in that NIT run and the player we watched in that tournament. And again, it's like, it's not that she was, we've talked about this before. It's not that she wasn't awesome before that, but my God, the way she played in that NIT and the player she was coming out of that tournament. And I think of the potential opportunity, you know, for someone like a Jillian Brown in the same regard. And it's a bummer that, that she's not going to get that opportunity. But again, we don't know the exact, the exact reasoning behind it. But again, regardless, right, it's like the, the upshot, if there is an upshot, specifically for this group as you guys have both said it already is that we get to keep watching Veronica Burton play basketball and that for one of the greatest Northwestern athletes ever the road does not end here and she's going to be drafted she's going to be drafted high she's going to be put in a great position you know she has all the tools of a defensive stopper that any WNBA team is going to want so you know if, if there's a small silver lining to come out of what's a, a pretty downcast day for, for women's basketball and a bittersweet day and a poignant day. It's that Veronica Burton's still going to play a lot of basketball and we're going to get to watch her do it. Uh, turning our attention to uh, the men's team. Uh, the big 10 tournament was this past weekend. Um, you know, I'm just, just be forewarned. I'm sure. going to take out all my frustration with, with the women's team getting snubbed on the men's team. Okay. Fair <laughs> yeah. enough. Fair enough. Um, Started play on Wednesday, uh, coming back from 14 down to knock off Nebraska, and then ran into the eventual Big Ten tournament champion, Iowa, where they got absolutely curb stomped, uh, 112 to 76. I mean, a game that wasn't even that close uh, throughout the entire thing. Like, they just basically didn't even show up. So, I want to start with this Nebraska game because sure. it was a very um, gritty comeback by Northwestern to get back in that game. Like you just, you don't typically see that, especially not in tournament play. The last, like that said, and we've said all year, these guys don't quit. They, they, they claw tooth and nail. Um, till the end of games, uh, they have been, you know, they have, they have been the unfortunate recipients of, you can call it luck if you want, or you could call it terrible coaching. Um, both in the early part of games to get them in a hole, and then in the late part of games um, when they're when they're trying to to ice the game, that doesn't mean that players aren't 
you know, also responsible for missed layups or missed free throws, things that have been, you know, problematic this year. But like, I'm going to go back to the, to the track record on, on development that we've talked about numerous times. But the last five minutes of that Nebraska game, as wonderful as the comeback was, as wonderful as the fact that they won the game was, those were the stupidest five minutes of basketball that I've ever watched. <laughs> Both teams, and this was true earlier in the year when Northwestern played basketball or, or played Nebraska, and, and, and I, maybe it was Rutgers is actually the game I'm thinking of, but like basically gave the opposing team two shots at winning the game. And both both times the the opponent threw it away. Now now that I say it out loud, it was definitely Rutgers. But that's what the last five minutes of this Nebraska game felt like. And like how many times in Nebraska? At one point, I think Nebraska had like a three on one, and the 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 guy in the middle passed to one of the wings who like fumbled it and flubbed it and knocked it off of his knee out of bounds. And it's just it's like a miracle they didn't score there. Um, and so like yes, Northwestern came back and won that Nebraska game, but like. I like, like every now and again, a blind squirrel finds a nut is how I felt about that win. And then to come out the next night and John, you did the calculus on this, but, but the worst Northwestern loss in 15 years. And I don't care how good Iowa was shooting the basketball. We looked like we didn't even belong on the floor with them. And for a team that has recruited, has out recruited Iowa um, during the Chris Collins era that has a, a veteran squad returning players, pretty much everybody's healthy, of a veteran coach. It's 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 abysmal, and this shit needs to change, and it needs to change now, and I don't think it will, and that pisses me off. Yeah, I mean, this is this is where we are. I mean, it's like it's it's the emotions are here, and again, right, part of it is is where we are, and having to watch the a a vastly superior women's team take this tough pill tonight and, and it's just like this is the mood that we're in but there are a couple pieces of this and, and one of them is right anyone being like I, I was specifically thinking about this right because anyone being like look that win was only so bad because Iowa absolutely shot the cover off the ball the analogy I thought of here is that's like Guns, germs, and steel. And yeah, this is a super Northwestern way to look at this. Uh, I'm dying to know where you luckily, go with this. I know, talking to our audience, I say guns, germs, and steel. You all nod and go, yes, I know what you're talking about. That's why I love you, Northwestern. Um, but it's like you have a bunch of, you know, a, a small group of conquistador, conquistadors go to South America and subdue a, you know, exponentially larger force with a, with a cannon, Right. And some and some you know horsemanship right and it's easy to be like well of course they won they had the cannons and it's like yes but you need to consider all of the right like innumerable factors that led to one side having a cannon and the other side not and everything over centuries that went into that moment right so it's the same it's basically like to Scuzz's earlier point about recruiting development etc you need to stop being like. Why was one of these teams the team that shot the holy hell out of the ball and the other team the team that gave up all those points and everything that has led us to this place? Because that's where we are right now. And it's funny, Scuzz mentioned this whole concept of luck and that there was something, some kind of things made earlier in the season about the fact that, well, Northwestern's been an, un, an unlucky team, right? Well, let's go through Northwestern's eight Big Ten wins. Three are against Nebraska the number 14 team in the conference. 
One is against Minnesota, the number 13 team in the conference. Those are the only teams ranked below Northwestern. Here are the other four. The aforementioned Rutgers game, where Northwestern had a 24-point lead and then blew it, right? Um, A game against Indiana, where Indiana had six available rotation players, and all Northwestern had to do was put them in foul trouble early and the game was over, and Northwestern chose to not do that, to the befuddlement of everyone, including the announcers, and the game was close all the way up until, like, the final two minutes, okay? Um, And then a Maryland game where they fired their coach two, two days before the game, and leaving by far the jewel, you know, the feather in Northwestern's cap, if there is a feather, that Michigan State road game, right? Um, But the dirty secret about that game is, and this is through no fault of his own, because we love Pete Nance and we love everything Pete Nance did for Northwestern over his four years. But Pete Nance being out for that game effectively cornered Northwestern into playing a style of basketball that allowed them to beat Michigan State on the road. Um, And as a kind of related piece of that, uh, and this is something, I mean, I suppose we talked about this. Many people beat the drum for this louder than we did. The Ryan Young piece of this is, uh, I mean, I, it's it's hard to even know what to say. Just um, just say those stats you he, said the other night, John. It's just, it just uh, encapsulates it in a nutshell. So uh, Ryan Young finished the season third in points third in rebounds by one he's one rebound behind second place so third in points third in rebounds by a single rebound first in field goal percentage um again the i mean of players who took more than 15 shots the entire season first in field goal percentage easily by far first in fouls drawn he was one of the leaders in the nation in that category eighth in minutes eighth Ryan Young on January, I believe, 15th, Ryan Young started a game on the road against Michigan State that Northwestern won 64-62. Ryan Young had 18 points and 8 rebounds in that game and trended nationally on Twitter. That was his only start of the season. This is where we are right now. And this is this is the kind of stuff where it's like, you heard how Scuzz feels. We all feel this way. This is just where we've arrived. And it's not just the five losing seasons. It's just, this is where we are now. And this is where Northwestern Nation is. And this is how people feel. And it's just like, here we sit. And here is where we're going to continue to sit because there has been no indication that uh, any move is going to be made as far as Chris Collins goes. Um, you know, I think back to when Carmody was let go, you know, Cats lost the Big Ten tournament. That next Saturday, Carmody was let go. Um, that Saturday has now come and gone here uh, in the Big Ten tournament. So if, you know, Dr. Gregg is looking for an opportunity, maybe he's waiting till after the tournament. I don't know why, but I, I feel like if a move is going to be made, it would have been made already. And the fact that we haven't seen anything or even heard any rumblings of anything leads me to believe that nothing's going to change, at least this year. 
I could see I could see waiting a week until after the tournament, but I but I think the big I mean the bigger signal to me is that when you when you look at the folks you know online who are who are more insiders with Northwest. I mean, the common theme across m- most people that are pretty close to Northwestern or know enough to know to know what's probably going to happen, right? To have have you know predictive power in the space is that the buyout and the contract is is too large, and that that is most likely going to prevent Northwestern from from firing him. I, you know, there is this kind of weak sauce argument that yes, he's gotten you know better results uh, year by year for the last three years, but. Um, we we know that that's a that's a you know that's a spin job. I think like the the number we talked about a few pods ago, the number that's been you know out there tossed around is eleven million dollars. Every time anybody says that, you know, people that want Collins gone are like, oh, I, like that's chump change. We should be able to handle that. I mean, I like I, I, and I, and I kind of alluded to this before talking about the women and the and the women's NIT, but you just don't know like. That that's roughly ten percent of the, or equivalent to ten percent of the athletic department's operating budget, um, which Google tells me is like one hundred one hundred eleven million dollars. So, like, it's not jump change. That's a big chunk of money when you're thinking about all the other things that Greg is trying to account for and figure out what to do. Like, I'm sure there are other coaches that need raises. I'm sure there are coaches on the football program on the def- on the um, uh, on the assistant side that need money. So I just like I like. I, just I hear want to press, I hear you. I know. But. I know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending it as much as I'm just trying to add color as to what I think is probably the calculus going on in, in, in the athletic department right now. And, and like, cause I like, I just think it's too easy to scoff at that number, not knowing wh- what all else money is being earfar- earmarked for and where, where people are being squeezed. Right. Like, like unless Pat Ryan shows up at the, at the doorstep, of the athletic complex and says, I have a suitcase with $11 million. I would like you to show Chris Collins the door. I don't, I don't know how this changes. Yeah. And again, it's like, even now, like you said, like we're, we're speculating, we're leaning this way. We don't really know. I mean, I suppose there is a possibility that Dr. Greg is like, look, let's make this about the woman's team right now. Everything they've gone through, let them have their moment. Let's let this happen, you know, like evaluating and then, you, you know, right. It could be this week, could be beyond the tournament. I mean, we don't know. And later when we have Scott Seppich on, you know, for the fun of, not for the fun of it, but for, for just to follow a hypothetical experiment, we'll look at some of the potential coaches, maybe potential names in the tournament that if we were waiting, these were some of the names that might, you know, we might be keeping an eye on, et cetera. Um, but the, and every, everything you said is true. The money is big money and, and that's a, a huge factor, no doubt about it. The flip side is it is, your, I mean, as as sensible a reason as it is financially, it also has the effect of seeming as like it, it, it has the effect perception wise of coming across as a cynical reason, right? It's like it has nothing to do with performance. It has nothing to do. It's almost like we would ask you to leave if it weren't for the money. And then we go through 650, 365 days more of that. And it's just it doesn't help the program. It doesn't help recruiting. It doesn't help the building of the team. Right. Um, and so it's rough. And again, we'll still see, but it's, it's a bad place to be right now with men's hoops and it couldn't have ended in a much worse way than it did this season. And 
it, it stinks and and that's where we are and and i guess we'll just kind of grit our teeth and see what happens uh well before we get to scott i uh, do want to mention that we will be having the westlaw pirates tournament challenges again uh both men's and women's um yeah, head to our website westlawpirates.com there'll be links to uh both the tournaments on espn men's and women's uh jump on in we have some fun it's good times you know no big deal um you know sadly no northwestern women to take all the way to the finals uh unlike last year which would have been which was just so much fun to just put the cats in as national champions not even a possibility this year which you know um so yeah all that information on our website westlawpirates.com uh follow Follow us on Twitter, at um, Westlaw Pirates. We'll be tweeting about that as well. Well, it is that time of year once again. We are ecstatic to welcome back to the show for our annual visit, uh, our resident bracketologist, Scott Sepich. Uh, thanks again for, for jumping on. It's a bit more of a, a regular tournament this year. Yeah, we're talking about the CBI, right? Because I'm <laughs> yeah, right. all about the CBI. Don't sleep on California Baptist out of the 15 spot. I think you got a shot. But. Question. Do you need a winning record to get into the CBI? <laughs> asking. Um, asking for a friend. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, I, I, maybe it's probably a prerequisite, but uh, not yeah. entirely sure about that. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it is. It is. It is great to have a, a real tournament back and have it be in a bunch of different cities and not the, the bubble thing they did last year. It's just it's nice to have some normalcy back. Definitely. Uh, but and before we dive into the tournament, um, you know, before we had you on, we were talking a little bit about um, where the men, the Northwestern men's team might be going. You know, if Chris Collins is, is let go. And <laughs> let's, be, yeah. let's be clear. They ain't going anywhere. And this question is <laughs> yeah. like, like what they might try to do in the, co- in the coaching seat. If, if anything this year, and yeah, we we're just wondering if you had any thoughts on a direction that they might go if they were to pull the trigger. Yeah, I guess I have. A, I, I was looking around at some of the coaches that are in the tournament. First of all, I mean, I, I don't know. Do we have? I mean, it seems like we have no indication whether or not they would actually pull the trigger right now. It kind of seems unlikely to me that they are, but it know, seems like that's it's, where we have arrived. Yeah, it seems yeah, like all yeah. the insiders are citing the you know the large buyout in his contract and that it just doesn't make sense for them to move on this year. Um, but Scott, but Scott, come on this journey with us and say, yeah, yeah I mean, I'll come on the journey with you. I mean, <laughs> believe me, I will. I'm, I'm there with you guys about like, yeah, it, it seems like it's kind of about time. It, there's a lot of, um, I was reading something the other day that showed like that our average recruiting class ranking of our team was quite a bit higher than Iowa's. And then look what kind of team Iowa has. Look what kind of team we have. So it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, we're right. we were finding we've, we've been finding some guys who you said, okay, these are some these are some players who should be able to play in the Big Ten, and then it's just not still not happening. So yeah, I'm kind of with you guys. That all right, it's it's been five years now since um, since the tournament, and I know that you know here that's almost like you know you pretty much. In some ways, you kind of get a life pass if you make the tournament once, but but it's been so bad since then. It's just you know it's not working. So I'm definitely on board with going a different direction. So do you have any particular names? If 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 we are going to carry this thought experiment out, anyone particular jumping out to you? 
All right. Well, after I was looking around at teams and just being like, oh, this could be interesting. So going three guys who are, I guess, more mid, you consider more mid-major from from oldest to youngest. Um, uh, Nico Medved is the coach at Colorado State. Um, he's in his late 40s. Uh, he was at Furman. Then he went to Drake, but he had a weird thing where he was only at Drake for one year and kind of left him kind of hanging to go to Colorado State. But he's taken them from 12 wins to 20 to 20 and now 24 this year. Um, he's done a pretty good job. So, hey, maybe he's somebody. He's also, I believe, he's from Minnesota and went to Minnesota. So he's got some, some Midwest ties. Um, Todd Golden is the coach at uh, San Francisco. Um, he does not really have any ties uh, to the Midwest, but has really turned that team around in the last couple of years. Uh, he's only 36 years old, I believe. Um, and then the, the the young man that kind of kind of sticks out is Drew Valentine at, at Loyola. I know we kind of were talking about Porter Moser before he left Oklahoma, but. Uh, Drew Valentine's only 30 years old, so he might be a little bit young, but um, he's been with Loyola, I think, for a few years as an assistant and took over as head coach this year, got them back to the tournament. Um, he's from Michigan. You know, his brother was a great player at Michigan State. So um, those are three names that kind of stuck out. And the, the fourth name that if we wanted to just go kind of weird with the old guy, I mean, you know, Bruce Weber is available, but I don't know about that. So is uh so is Tom Crean. Well, I, I wouldn't. I didn't even want to go there. So. <laughs> I'm much more on board with uh, at least a, a, a Bruce Weber thought as a as a last stop in his coaching career. But because um, yeah, at least Weber, it seems like a pretty stand up guy, and like um, <laughs> that was and and maybe could. But it, but it's 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 tough to bring a I think an older coach into our situation and um, the, the name I was going to ask we, about from an old coach standpoint was Beeline just because like I it, there was talk about him last year obviously familiar with the Big Ten um, has a system that is like very has an approach to coaching and developing players that is very different from Collins with what I would think would be not like a huge drop off on the recruiting side. Um, and then the other the other name that's been bouncing around Northwestern fans' mouths is Dennis Gates, um, the yeah, yeah. At Cleveland State, right? What what are your thoughts on right. those two guys? I mean, I've I've always been a fan of Beeline. I, I when he was at West Virginia, even I really liked his team. Um, and then I like, even though I, you know, we all have our feelings about Michigan as a as an opponent or as an institution, but like he always coached that team well at Michigan. And I always thought, you know, this was a, this was the kind of coach that would be great to have. I guess it's just a matter of, I think he's pushing 70 now. So yeah, he's um, pretty, pretty up there. You know, I don't know what his, if he wants to jump back into something and give it, you know, I would hope that we would, you know, want somebody who's going to be bought in for four or five years, or at least, I don't know, maybe if he was brought in, but there was some sort of transition plan and in place for somebody who was, going to take over from him something like that i could see possibly happening um that's one of the things that's hard is that there's no like heir apparent because like i remember collins was a name that people were talking about a lot in the in the fire carmody crowd right um and there's no like you can squint maybe look at at tavares hardy and his record at loyola maryland and 
you know, he's made some improvements there. Um, you could get Brian McIntosh, but this was his first year on the bench at Northwestern, right? Um, there just doesn't appear to be like an heir apparent that you could even bridge to with like with a guy like Beeline. To your point, yeah, I mean, I I like here. I mean, some of these young names that I wasn't even really familiar with. I mean, I think that's something that I mean, if Northwestern has, I mean, it's been certainly a long time. I mean, even when we got Carmody, he was already an established man. Um, he'd been the number two at Princeton for a long time before taking that job over, and. The idea of like a, a young ingenue who's coached, right, who like built up a previous team or had success with a smaller team is not around Northwestern's really done. The Korean one is hilarious to me because I, I would say the two the two split sides of the Korean scenario are how much obvious sense it makes versus just how many people are personally opposed to Tom Crean being the coach, uh, which is just hilarious to see that play out uh, when we tweeted that out. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has historically recruited Chicago really well and coached in a Shores of Lake Michigan small private institution to great success, um, and then basically putting him in the maximum position to succeed. But tons of people just do not like Tom Crean. And it's just including me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A ton of people. And our Twitter just blew up between either people liking it, thinking it was a good idea, or people are like, I'm going to tell you how much I hate this idea. And here (laughs) here you go. Totally. Which, by the way, totally get it. Absolutely. Totally understand. I'd say the only thing the only thing I would quibble with is people poking holes in just the Georgia situation, which I mean, I that seems to be like a place where basketball coaches go to die. So like I don't like the lack of success at Georgia, especially for somebody who's not from there, doesn't really mean a lot to me. But 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 I but I totally get it. But I mean, I you know, some of these names again, like the the Colorado State coach. Right. I mean, he's he's one he's one first round win over Michigan from all of us falling in love with him anyway. So that yeah. that sounds mighty good to me. I was going to say just to, to connect what you, those three names you brought up, Scott. So uh, Colorado State is a six seed hosting number 11, Michigan in uh, the South bracket. They could um, potentially face Tennessee in the second round and Ohio State uh, or, or Villanova in the third round. Uh, Loyola Chicago is in that same bracket as a 10 seed facing Ohio State in the first round. So we're like we're going to see two of these guys against the Big Ten immediately. And then. um your your uh your other one uh oh, I've lost it now. The guy from San Francisco. San Francisco. San They're Francisco. Kind of yes. the unfortunate mid-major first-round matchup because you like yeah. to see. There are like both of those teams go on, but you know. There it's a 10-7 matchup, right? So they're San Francisco's yeah. the 10 seed. If they win, they'd presumably play Kentucky, um, which I you know Kentucky's gettable. So uh, I, like it'll be, you know. I think part of the reason we wanted to have this conversation is we thought it could, it could lend itself to um, some, uh, some first round eyeballs for Northwestern fans wanting to, to, to check out some of the young up and comers. Yeah. I think the dream name, which of course is, I mean, I'm sure way out of you know, I mean, shock of smart. I know has his wife went to Northwestern at least for grad school, I think. And, you know, he's from Wisconsin coaching at Marquette now. I mean, that's, he would be sort of like the, I don't know. To me, it would be like, would be awesome, but probably has a, you know, I mean, definitely has a better situation probably at Marquette than you would have. Don't uh, give me hope, unless, Scott. Don't give me hope. Unless, he, <laughs> unless, he, unless for some reason he wanted the, you know, the, the, I mean, he was, at, he was at Texas, you know, I mean, if he wanted the, the, 
the challenge of the Big Ten. I mean, he would get the challenge of his life coming <laughs> coming to NU. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, but you know, that's a name that's you know the one I like. Yeah, that would be that would be like amazing, but probably one that's a little bit um, kind, know, kind probably, of probably not super re- probably not super realistic, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to keep your eye on another coast, it would be kind of fun to see. Yeah, uh, eight, eight nine matchup against North Carolina, and then probably playing Baylor uh, in the second yeah, round. They advance. I, I, for, to me, Baylor seems to be the most vulnerable of the ones in that second round. Yeah. So, so, so in my mind. yeah, so, I, I was just you know to to pivot to the bracket um, real quick uh, for for those who don't know. Uh, before 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 we pivot, Sammy, real yeah. quick, just. Just, I just want to say, th- Scott, thanks for indulging us in that little experiment. And for all you listening, look, we we all know, like we all know that that this, you know, that all this discussion may very well be moot. I mean, we don't know that it won't be, but thank you for indulging us. And Scott, thank you for participating in that little exercise. <laughs> well, I mean, let's just all let's just all hope that you know if Collins comes back, um, you know, Matt Nicholson's uh, all Big Ten first team next year, and uh, and we just dominate. So you know. Who knows? <laughs> Don't think we're all holding our breath on that one, but uh, we shall see <laughs> indeed. Um, so yeah, turning our attention to the bracket. And uh, for those who don't know, Scott, you've been uh, around college basketball for quite some time. You've been running uh, your own bracket a challenge for like a long, long time, at least 20 years, right? Yeah, this is going to be the 27th or 28th year I've done it, I think. So um I just want to say too, yeah, like, okay. not unlike cousin Sal telling Bill Simmons the Gary Russell story every year, this is one of our treasured podcast traditions. This is our oldest tradition, right? It's our, uh, it's our our oldest Westlot Pirates tradition. Scott, you've been on every single year, um, so this I is have, we we, have, we always look forward to this. Yeah, I've been on every year, and I think you know when I when I was first on, I think it was. It was Probably five friends of ours that were listening, but now you guys, <laughs> you guys have you guys have built this thing up now, and now we're at the point where you actually have listeners who are probably like, "Who's this guy? Why is he on the podcast?" But, you know, um, I'm, I'm always glad that you guys uh, keep having me on every year. Well, I mean, we, talk yeah, we we were talking before we even jumped on, like. Every year this happens, like I know for me personally, I know less and less about yeah. what's going on. Yeah, those five um, listeners really caught me when I knew a lot about college basketball, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, but looking at the uh, and, and probably the, the best place to start is these number one seeds. Um, and you mentioned Baylor. Uh, you got Gonzaga, Baylor, Arizona, and Kansas. Now, didn't Arizona have one of their star players get hurt in the uh, Pac-12 tournament? I unfortunately was out doing some work over the weekend, and so I did not actually see. Oh, yeah, it was Kurt Risa, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I, I actually have no idea where he's at right now in terms of does he have the – if he's coming back or not, I actually don't know. I have not heard. but It's a game, um, time, game time decision. Ankle injury expected return is 316, so – you know, yeah, seems seems like he's uh, probably going to play. Would I be my guess. They are good enough. I don't see, I, you know, I don't see Seton Hall or TCU beating them even without him. So I would say, I would say they're at least probably good for the first weekend without him. But then they would get, you know, 
it would get the, tough because actually I really like. Then after that, they'd face the Chattanooga Mocks, who by that well, point will have knocked off Illinois. I want to say that's a the Houston, UAB, Illinois, Chattanooga. Those are four good teams. Like, like UAB, Chattanooga, I think are two of the top. You know, mid majors. I think UAB. I think it was, I was reading that UAB was was slotted higher than any of the. Uh, mid-major champions that wouldn't have probably made the bracket if they didn't win their conference tournament. So they were they're sort of like the top of the heap of the of the small league champs. And uh, Chattanooga needed a lucky shot to win their their championship, but um, that's a pretty good team too. And then I was thinking when I was looking at teams and saying like you know or thinking about you know who are the sort of like the maybe the underrated teams and who are sort of the overrated teams. And I was looking at um, some of the the computer rankings houston is a five seed in this tournament but if you look at the ken palm rankings they're ranked number four in the country and bart torvik has them number two in the country overall like wow so um so the metrics really really love houston and they were a final four team last year and they lost a couple of their top players but uh that's a really good team and i think could very easily be one of those teams that makes a run. Um, I know everybody loves the five twelve upset, but I feel like Houston is maybe as good of a five seed as we've seen in a while. Uh, and I also also think Iowa's a really good five seed. Well, um, Lord have mercy there. I mean, they're ranked in. I think uh, I saw that they're ranked thirteenth in the country in, in in Ken Palm, and they've obviously been on a tear here, winning the tournament, winning the Big Ten. Kind of surprised they didn't get above five, um, given they just won the tournament um, and the way they've been scoring. And oh, have they? Have they been scoring a lot of points lately? They've scored that's a few a, points. That's been happening. Um, uh, I might have turned off a game that they were playing in recently, but um, but they they've been scoring some points. So, so there's a couple of really dangerous fives out there. That uh, you know, Houston and that in that Arizona side, and then. Uh, where is I was on the in the Kansas bracket and that and I think oh and Providence is a fourth I think Providence is horrifically overrated. So um how did the advance I would love Iowa though. How do the advanced metrics feel about America's team, Cal State Fullerton? Uh as as our entire country tries to will them to a victory to show um, to show I, Coach K the door. <laughs> yeah, I believe Fullerton was are they the lowest Ranked, no, I think I think the lowest ranked team that made the tournament was Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Yeah, they're 243. Uh, Fullerton's like a mid-range, mid, mid-level. Uh, I wouldn't be too excited about them. Their chances to beat Duke, I would say, it's probably not going to happen. But well, it's you know, uh, it's it's great that they're. I the mean, lowest, we can all dream. But. It's great that they're the lowest ranked 50. Whatever we can do for Coach K, what any anything we can do, make him a little more comfortable. One thing that I'm interested in, um, even more than the five twelves, is like the the opening four, the first four in Dayton. I have we've seen some big runs coming out of them. You know, UCLA last year, um, Rutgers is playing Notre Dame, and you know Rutgers has been really, really good this year. After you know their horrible loss to us, um, they really just kind of went on fire. Is is that a team that you could see? making a run uh, and then Wyoming, Indiana uh, is the other kind of play in game that uh, you could see one of those two teams kind of 
catching fire. Rutgers is such a weird team, right? I mean, like they have a, a bunch of really good wins. You know, they had the four in a row where they beat Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Illinois back to back to back to back, and um, beat Purdue earlier in the year. Uh, but they also lost to Lafayette. <laughs> they also lost to UMass. Um, they lost to DePaul. They got blown out by Penn State. They lost to Minnesota and Maryland. They lost to us. So, I mean, like, they've, they've been all over the place. So, you know, I don't know. They've certainly been playing well lately. So, I guess you'd rather have the team playing well late than playing well early and stumbling in the tournament. So, um, I mean, for me, watching them down the stretch, that um, that Mulcahy kid, when he started when he started playing well, that team started looking really good. Um, and so maybe he's maybe he's going to be their kind of their X factor uh, going into this. What Scott? One of the interesting things, at least in the recent history of us doing this, has been the ascendance of Gonzaga. I mean, of course, Gonzaga the entire time been doing this has been a name, but they've kind of become the juggernaut, right? Like they've become the Goliath over the past couple of years. And you've sort of not had a front row seat, but you're out in Portland. So, I mean, you're out in that region. Um, I'm curious. First of all, you haven't had a chance to see this year's Gonzaga team up close, have you? I have not seen them in person this year, no. Um, I'm curious they, how, you, how you think, you know, I, this team, this year's team compares to last year's team. Well, I mean, I think they're pretty similar, actually, because... You know, they still have Timmy, they still have uh, Nemhard, but, you know, obviously they lost Suggs, but they've brought in Holmgren, who's a different kind of player. But, I mean, Holmgren is really, he's a really intriguing player. I mean, he's sort of like this, I don't know, I, he's kind of a, like a Kevin Durant type almost. He's like seven-footer, but he can handle the ball, and he can shoot threes, and he can block shots, and he can rebound i mean he kind of just does everything and but um like always with gonzaga it's always like interesting to be like all right what what are they going to look like uh when they get out of their league although i will say their league is pretty good this year i mean um st mary's is very good san francisco made the tournament um byu and santa clara are both in the nit so um they played a much better quality of opponent in their league this year than I think, you know, because people always say, oh, they never play anybody, they never play anybody, they never play anybody, and then they come to the tournament not ready. So I feel like they'll be prepared, and I think that they have showed enough over these last few years that, like, they they, need, they, they have to be taken seriously. They, they made the final game twice. They're, I don't think that they're the team that's like, oh, they're, they're setting up to be a disappointment again because um, they kind of had that reputation for a while, but I, I think they've turn that corner so um i still expect them to be you know right there in the end but of course we all know in the in the in the single elimination format you never know what's going to happen but i look at the, the bracket they're in and I, I don't see anybody uh beating them i think the elite eight certainly against texas tech or duke would be a big challenge um but I still think that they are have overall the best team. 
Well, don't worry. They, they'll get a phantom goaltend not called for them. So I'm, I'm sure that'll, well, that'll be you know. just fine. Right. Anything we can do to help out Gonzaga, whatever. Help us help you, Gonzaga. Curious how you do you have any feelings on how zombie LSU is going to do going through uh, potentially uh, what a, ma- a matchup with Wisconsin? That's a team I don't know much about, to be honest with you. The SEC is kind of a blind spot for me, but um, I know that they started out super hot this year and then faded a bit down the stretch. But I mean, the, the, the computers really still like them. I mean, they're a top, they're 19th in Pomeroy and they're like, in the 20s in, in Torvik, so I know they're a really good defensive team. Uh, that you know, if they do play Wisconsin, that could be they would play Wisconsin, is that right? Yeah, second round. Second round. Uh, that would be the 6 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that could be a kind of an ugly game <laughs> <laughs> if it happens. Wisconsin is another team that I think is kind of overrated. I, I think, honestly, I think Wisconsin's a three, Iowa's a five. Like, who would you pick right now if they play each other? I mean, I feel like Iowa would be, should be favored, would be favored in that game, and they're two seed lines apart. So that to me, that well, we watched um, them. We watched us play Wisconsin. We watched us play Iowa, and we saw how both of those games went. So I think <laughs> I would agree with you. Yeah, I, I was looking at something, and this is something that came up a few times on the NU uh, hoops message board this year. It is Pomeroy has something called the luck rating, which is um, it's the difference in your actual record. And what your record would be if you if your team played to its right you can, offensive number, right. General it's, number right? it's called the luck rating, but you can debate whether or not luck is actually what's accounting for it. But right, right. So it's it's sort of like to account for like the variance of the, of the schedule, right? I mean, if you played the same thirty games a, a thousand times, I mean, how how many would you win? But it's your it's your classic it's, actual versus expected. Right, so it's actual versus expected, and um, Northwestern is consistently rated in the in the three hundreds in this in this um, in this metric. Which didn't we, we now, hit? De- didn't we hit dead last at one point? We we were dead last at one point this year. We we finished all the way up at uh, three thirty two, so we made it up about twenty from the bottom. But uh, yeah, so you could debate that that actually. Probably not luck when it happens like five, six years in a row that you're like the. We, we've been saying, the, the, we've been saying all season that like the close losses, it's not it's not bad luck. It's it's like a feature at this point. It's a feature, right? Yeah. Um, but the team that has the quote unquote best luck this year um, is Providence. Uh, they're number one in the in the luck ranking, and if you if you look at their their actual record of twenty five and five, their numbers show that they should have actually been nineteen and eleven. Wisconsin is also very high in the luck ranking. Um, their expected win total, um, they won twenty four. They were twenty four and seven. Their expected win total would have been twenty and eleven. Um, and then Colorado State, I think we actually talked about with their coach. They're twenty-five and five. Their expected record would have been 20, um, 20 and ten, or sorry, twenty-one and nine. Uh, and twenty-one and nine on the Mountain West, they probably wouldn't even made the tournament. And Wisconsin certainly would have been, you know, quite a bit lower than a three seed had they, you know, played to their expectations. So those are three teams: Providence, Wisconsin, Colorado State. That I look at and say, all right, well, then is this a feature in the sense of like they're that well coached that that's why? you know, they are where they are, or is there a little bit of 
variance that's going to hit them here. Uh, Sue and Providence, it already may have hit them because they, they already may have hit them because they got blown out by Creighton in the Big East tournament. So, so those are teams that I look at and go, man, maybe they're a little overseeded and maybe they're maybe they're due for things to come the other way on them. Yeah, the more I look at all this, it just I could so you could talk me into Iowa making a deep run so easily here. I just so much of it just sets right up for them. And I, I confess, I haven't seen too much of Kansas. I guess that's the other one we haven't talked about. Do you have any particular thoughts on the Jayhawks? That's another thing I didn't watch much this year. It's like Kansas is a team that I, it seems like every year I, I rarely watch them. And I always think like that I don't hear a lot about them. And then by, by the time you get to March, it's like, oh yeah, there's a one seed again. Like they're just, <laughs> like, they're just always there. And they always just find a way, even, even when they like, it looks like, oh, they, they lost the game. They shouldn't have lost or whatever. They just, they put it back together again. I, because I'm looking at their schedule right now. They did lose recently to Baylor and TCU, but then uh, came back to win the conference tournament. So, yeah, you look at their losses. They lost six games, and they lost to basically the five tournament teams, and they lost to Dayton by one point early early in the season. So Yeah, only five and four against the top 25, listed as having the second hardest strength of schedule per CBS. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, if I was shooting the way they're capable of shooting, that we know they can shoot, I could see them going through here. Have you had a chance to see Jabari Smith at all? That's like my hole where I'm like, I don't, I've I've heard so much about him, and now I'm like, well, I guess I'm finally going to get to watch him play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the SEC is not my, not what I watch a lot of, but I did watch a couple of the Auburn games. Yeah, I thought he was pretty fun to watch. He's um, a really good for, well, I think he's, 10, 6, 11, something like that. And he's a really good perimeter shooter. You know, he's just kind of like the mold of like the NBA guys, These NBA guys now that are coming out that are, you know, 6, 10, 6, 11, and they can like handle the ball and they can shoot and they can kind of do everything. And yeah, I mean, I, it, so how would you juxtapose like, what some of these guys can do? I'm, I'm curious. So Holmgren, I guess we, we mentioned him earlier, but he's kind of, I suppose, right. If, it, if you were going to make it two players, it would be those two guys. Well, I guess at Paolo Benchero. But where, like, what's your read on Holmgren? Like, do you think, like, he's, I don't know, like, do you feel like he's, like, what's going to lock it in for Gonzaga here? I'm just curious what your opinion of him is. Well, the thing about Holmgren is that he doesn't have to be, because they have another. Right, because they have Timmy, right? They have Timmy, right? So they have this guy that's experienced and already sort of like an all-American type (laughs) big guy. And so they don't, like, Holmgren doesn't have to kind of carry the load. He doesn't have to, to be the guy every game for them because they have such a balanced five that they start. But you look at Holmgren now, I'm looking at his, he's averaging, or he's only taken 8.7 shots per game, so he doesn't take a lot of shots, but he's shooting 73% from two-point range, which is ridiculous. Over 40% from three, 10 rebounds a game, three and a half blocks a game. You know, he's just putting up huge numbers. You know, Smith's shooting the ball more, uh, but he's a 43% to Barry Smith, 43% three-point shooter, seven rebounds, only one block a game. So he's not he's, – he's higher volume on the offensive end, maybe not doing quite as much on the defensive end. But I think the fact that Holmgren doesn't have to be the star of his team, he can just do what he does and make him win, even if he's not putting up huge numbers, I think makes it easier for him. Isn't that such a recipe in the tournament, though, for like him to have a breakout 
go of it because I feel like teams are going to key in on Timmy and and the other, you know, the the like they're going to force Gonzaga to do something a little bit different if that means feeding the ball to Holmgren. Like I like I just I feel like I feel like it's it's rare that the like the superstars or like the super well-known players coming to the tournament often have good tournaments, but they rarely dominate in the way that, um, you know, when you're filling out your bracket, you're awfully like, Oh, this, well, this team's got the best player. Surely they're going to win. Like it doesn't, it generally doesn't feel like it plays out that way. I'm trying to remember the last time it did play out that way. It's been a minute. Yeah. Scott, I'm curious. So we tend to always talk about this every year, but this, this massive pool that you run, we tend to talk about like, okay, based on, the way you're looking at this bracket expectations you have, obviously I'm sure you're expecting everyone to just absolutely hammer Gonzaga. Is there anything else that you're, you know, when you look at this, you're like, I expect to see X when all these brackets start coming in. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like some years I talk to you guys a couple days after the, the announcement. So I start to see some of the entries coming in and I can kind of look at the trends that in this case just came out. So we haven't had a chance to see them yet. So I will be interested to see really how many people do Hamburg Gonzaga. Cause I think that there was a time when people really shied away from them because they thought, Oh, Gonzaga, they're high speed again. They're going to get, you know, they're going to get beat again. So I think it's interesting to see if, if their brand is now big enough where people says, okay, this, this is a team I'm going to get behind. Baylor being the defending champion though, it's, it's, I think will probably draw a lot of uh, attention. And then having uh, Kansas who, you know, is always, seems to be there but hasn't won i think when, when did kansas win last that was 2008 or 9 right roy they, williams they, they beat yeah. illinois right was that am i just no that was North carolina I, no, I missed, kansas, yeah kansas kansas beat memphis kansas beat memphis so okay, yeah. like the derrick rose the derrick rose right, right, like right, right, 13, right. 13 years ago that. um and then arizona has not been arizona really hasn't been this you know, seated as high in, in a while. So um, I, I'm assuming that Arizona will get the least love of the one seed uh, just based on the fact that it's been a while since they've been uh, thought of as highly. And it's been, you know, I think 20, I think 25 years since they won. Um, I think people will enjoy probably uh, as always rooting against Duke. That's kind of the tradition. Um but Duke and Gonzaga being in the same side of the bracket, I think is really going to be interesting because um, there's going to be that sense of, all right, is Gonzaga going to prove that they are, you know, the top dog here now, or is Duke going to make this final run for Coach K? But then the way things work, went in Coach K's last home game, people maybe are a little bit lukewarm, and then how they how they played against Virginia Tech. So I wanted to um, ask about that. Like, what do you what do you make of that? Is this is this like the classic? I mean you know, the classic, you know, waiting forever for somebody to score their 500th goal or hit their 500th home run or get their 500th win. Is this, I mean, is this like that team is just putting so much pressure on themselves that they're face planting in these, in these big situations, or is there something more problematic with Duke under the covers that um, UNC and now Vata have been able to exploit? Well, I mean, it's kind of always the, like the sense of, the Duke teams recently are, you know, have so much talent, but they've got to put it all together in one year, right? I mean, they, they don't have a ton of continuity year to year, right? They've got a lot of freshmen yep. and um, a lot of youth. And, like, I mean, we saw when they had this amazing team a couple of years ago with Zion and 
and Barrett and, and Reddish, and they couldn't they couldn't win with that group. And which is shocking. Like these, these insane talents who are you know, um, and now they have uh, you know other guys who are like hugely talented. But again, it's like can you get it all to come together at the same time? And can you can you really you know build these championship teams just between November and March? Um, and, and not have the the continuity every year, so it's yeah. I think it's tough. The, the, you look the sp- at that, and then you look at Gonzaga having you know, even though they have a new guy, you know, a new guy like Holmgren, they've got a lot of returning guys who have been there, been through it, been to the championship game. You know, it's, it's, I think that's a huge advantage. Bringing up Zion Williamson's name is a great is a great pivot back to uh, some what we were talking about a minute ago in terms of like the most like I'm looking at the most outstanding player list for the last, you know, uh, 20 years or so. And it's, it's kind of surprising. So I, like, I would argue the last time, Sammy, to your question that, you know, a, a, a name, a household name player came in and dominated the tournament was 2012 with Anthony Davis. Oh, sure. Yeah. Since then in 2013, it was Luke Hancock at Louisville, Shabazz Napier at Connecticut, who like, if I recall, torched everyone during the big east tournament or the whatever the conference was back then so like like maybe that one's kind of borderline but but still like that's not a guy that went you know top five in the nba draft uh tyus jones at duke uh ryan arcad arcadiacano thank you at villanova i cannot uh, pronounce that off the top of my head joel berry uh the second at north carolina i like i i don't feel like he was the top guy on that team um uh, DiVincenzo uh, with Villanova, then Kyle Guy at Virginia, and last year Jared Butler with Baylor. So, I mean, like, like n- none of those names jump off the page to me. Now, I'm not, you know, the biggest uh, b- basketball follower, especially at the next level, but like, typically it's one of these, um, you know, off the radar players, and maybe even Chet Holmgren is too on the radar at this stage, given all the pub that he's gotten to. I, I think about I, Williamson and I just think about like remember that that year he was scoring like he was unstoppable throughout the regular season and then that team got to the tournament and to your point Scott they, they couldn't put it together when when the screws were tightened and the teams that they were playing were of better quality and um and you know the the, the coaches are spending you know 48 hours focused on nothing but stopping that offense because it, it allows them to survive in advance. And that's just a little bit different from when you're you know, guiding your team and trying to build and develop your team throughout the season. It was interesting. I was hearing some talk earlier today and I hadn't thought of it a whole lot about this, but like that, you know, you have some of these teams that are building really, really young. They're getting the best recruits and, you know, to say like a Duke team. And then you have a lot of teams are, when they lose guys, they're just hitting the transfer portal real hard. It's almost like, you know, we, we know it's become free agency, right? And, it's, and now these teams can kind of fill in their gap with guys who are, who become standouts at mid-majors and smaller schools, and they can sort of work their way up to a big school. And then you have a lot of these teams that have a lot of experience. They have older teams because they've gone to the portal to replace guys rather than just relying on freshmen. And there's sort of like this difference now where you have, you know, can these young teams really relying on, on, you know, these 18 year olds, 19 year olds compete with some of these teams that maybe don't have the raw talent, but have guys who are 21, 22 years old. And they've been through, you know, season, you know, multiple seasons of college ball. And, and we're seeing more and more of those teams that are 
that are older because they're they're building that way instead of instead of the uh, the freshman route. Wait, when you're looking at this bracket, I'm I'm wondering if there's any kind of storylines that immediately jump off the page. Um, you know, one that I I just see glaring right in front of me is the possibility of round two, Coach K versus Tom Izzo. And you know if Michigan State beats Davidson and Duke beats Cal State Fullerton, that's going to be the only thing anyone will be able to talk about for 48 hours until Tom Brady unretires or retires or unretires <laughs> yet, yet again or some some yeah, massive right. NFL thing happens. Cause it, says he's, it says he's going to, to San Fran. Right, exactly. Of- yeah. But is there anything that uh, kind of jumps at you as uh, potential storylines that could emerge? Well, this is not a huge storyline, but it's kind of a funny little like tidbit. But like, um, I think Davidson's—I believe Davidson's top player is Foster Lawyer, who played for Michigan State. Oh, for a couple of years, oh, and, and, right. they're, and they're and they're and they're playing each other, um, oh. which I thought was an interesting that they, uh, you know, and I know the committee doesn't look at that, but like it's kind of funny that it worked out that this guy who was sort of—I mean, he was kind of a. a he was a bench guy for Michigan State, and now he's gone. And I think he's Davidson. I don't know if he's their leading scorer, but he's he's one of their top guys. And yeah, he was a big recruit. I don't think I. I guess I wasn't really aware of that. I remember when he was when they recruited him. Um, that's very interesting. Kind of makes me think of how uh, Virginia Tech won the ACC tournament pretty much with like Wofford's entire team from like a couple <laughs> of years ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, like that can't be fun, but that's, it's interesting because it's like, I totally was thinking about that earlier list you were going through and I'm already like, Oh Jesus, it's going to be Jordan Bohannon, isn't it? I'm just like <laughs> already, I'm already just like stealing. Maybe it, the more I talk about it now, that'll just jinx it out of happening. But that's like already where my brain is going right now. I'm like, Oh God, please. No. I, su- uh, I assume that Reddick has the record for threes in attorney. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I have no idea. I'm just gonna make it. I'm just gonna make it Ali Farouk Manesh in my mind. Although I know that's not true, but I I want it to be true. He hit one of the biggest threes ever. Yeah, yeah, sure. sure. I I know for me personally, living in Big Ten country, following Big Ten teams, I always overvalue the Big Ten. The Big Ten's got a ton of teams in this year. How badly, like, and they, they always flame out in and around the second or third round. Just pretty much w- without without fail. Which Big Ten team is going to break my heart because I overpicked them this year? Well, I mean, my first pick would probably be Wisconsin, but don't sleep on Illinois. I mean, they uh, they can lose the first one. I think it, it's the- interesting. It seems like when co- when they list when they just decide and they did this, you know, against us, like when Illinois just decides, like we're going to throw the ball to Kofi. And he's just going to turn around and dunk it on you, and you can't do anything about it. Like that's unstoppable. But you know, yeah, will we saw they that commit to that kind of strategy, or or yeah, we or, saw that with us, where it was like it seemed like it was just like such like a layup every time, and then I mean, like like metaphorically a layup, like like in actuality a back down dunk. Um, but well, we 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 guarded him with a uh, with a with a power forward. Yeah, uh, right. Well, ooh, I mean. Ooh. <laughs> right, but it Sorry. was like, but then like in that in that run in the second half, they just had they lost the plot in terms of executing it, and that was what was really weird. They just started turning it over like crazy. Um, 
But yeah, no, I'm like a Kingston to me is one of those. I mean, a Coburn is one of those ones to me where I'm like, so just so interested to see, right? I mean, like he's a guy who stands to help his draft stock as much as anybody by having like a dominant performance. So I'm really curious. Luckily for Illinois, like they don't have to face Loyola Chicago until the regional final. So that's helpful for them. Yeah, but uh, you know who does have to face Loyola Chicago is Ohio State. I think yeah, they're going to lose. They looked they looked horrible against Penn State the other night. Um, and that just seems like a team that is, you know, has a lot of talent because they recruit well in their Ohio State, and they're just kind of like meh. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at – this is a big opportunity for Loyola again. I mean, they be able to take out Illinois last year and then be able to take out OSU this year. Um, yeah, I think they they're definitely – have another opportunity to earn some uh, to earn some bragging rights from for for Midwest dominance. So um, they don't have. I mean, Loyola. I don't think their team isn't quite as good as last year as was. I mean, obviously that's why they were a ten seed instead of a. I think they were an eight last year. But um, but I think they're plenty good enough to win this game. Uh, personally, I think Villanova to me, and this is just a feeling. But I think Villanova is the the least impressive of the two seeds to me. So. I wouldn't be shocked to see Loyola make the Sweet 16 again. We could all get some more uh, Sister Jean screen time, which, you know, no one hates. A plus. Well, listen, Scott, um, definitely appreciate you coming on with us again. Is there anything else that, you know, is jumping out at you before we let you go? Um, any any other kind of fun things that you've seen just kind of looking through this bracket? Nothing that's jumping out to me so far. Um what do you think? Uh, what do you think? Wright State's best crunch time lineup against Bryant in the in the first four <laughs> games. Who do you think? Does, does Jordan Ashville play for them? Because was, uh, <laughs> yeah, nope, nope. He's a GA at uh, Texas. Texas, he's, uh, yeah. He's fine. Yeah, he has, he's moved on. So yeah, I don't know the Wright State roster as well now. Um, yeah. Fair. I, I think Miller Cop is the only Northwestern uh, transfer still playing. Is that fair? Is that true? Yeah, and if they if they win their first. Game, I will be able. To, I will see Miller Cop in person in, in Portland on Thursday. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> should I? I don't know if I should like take a sign or something for him on Thursday. I don't know what I'm going to do exactly. But, well, let, let's get, um, let them get past Wyoming first. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see St. Peter's in the bracket. They're a, they're a school in Jersey City that I, when I, I used to live in New York, and I would go. A friend of mine and I would go to like random college basketball games in the New York area a couple times a year. We would just take a day and go to like two games and yeah, we played go to places them. like we would go to places like Wagner and and Saint uh, Saint Francis and Manhattan College. Like places. we went to Saint Peter's once and it was like I remember we took the train to Jersey City. And we got off, started walking around, and we got to this like two block square area that kind of looked like a college, and we were like, well, I guess this is it. And uh, we went in to go to the game, and we walked in, and there was nobody there to like take tickets. Like we just went and sat down. Like no, they didn't even like charge us to go in the game. So, so I'm excited for uh for for uh, for a team like that that doesn't even uh, didn't even seem interested in taking our ten dollars to go to the game that they uh they're gonna make the tournament and play against Kentucky. There you go. Well, that's it. Uh, that's that's the that's the fifteen two right there. That's that's we'll do it. We'll we'll close that. Scott Sepich calls St. Peter, St. Peter's over Kentucky. Throw all your money at that. It's definitely <laughs> happening. <laughs> I, well then, well then, San Francisco and future Northwestern coach uh, 
who is it? Todd Todd Golden. Uh, can, make Todd a, Golden can, yeah. can make a run to the uh, Sweet 16. That's right. Yeah, St. Peter's is going to clear the deck. It's all about the long game. <laughs> Luckily, nobody's aggregating us yet and just like stealing <laughs> these snippets. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Some dude on a podcast said St. Peter's is good, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if we had that kind of pull, I, I, I'll just I'll be happy that we had that kind yeah. of pull. We we take no responsibility for your upset picks that don't work out, people. I, I, I wanted to just bring up, though, doesn't John Rothstein, like, owe all of us a, a happy hour in Chicago? Isn't that... oh, oh, yeah. He's been talking about um, potential locations. Yeah. So, no. uh, I... Uh, oh yeah, we we didn't forget about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll it's... we'll definitely be uh, keeping tabs on on whether Rothstein is planning on welching or not. I know he threw out yeah, maybe yeah. like a double or nothing, and I think that was immediately ratioed out of existence. <laughs> yep. Yeah, tab tab is the operative word. It a yeah. sky high tab indeed. Yeah, he I mean, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be in March. It can be like in May or something. Yeah. He he listed out. I'm trying to find the tweet now, but he listed out his his three things to do post tournament. Um, one of them was like plan a trip to Europe. I forget what the second one was, and then the third one was like schedule a, a happy hour in Chicago for the Northwestern fans. <laughs> there you go. Well, but I think he's on it. I would need a lot of drinks to make up for my flight price, but uh, you never know. <laughs> well, Scott. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much for jumping on with us again. Um, you know, it's our annual tradition and, you know, I definitely love, you know, hashing through the tournament with you and uh, definitely appreciate your time. And uh, thanks so much. All right. Thanks guys. I'll talk to you in uh, about a year, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, once again, uh, thanks so much to Scott for coming on with us. Um, always a pleasure having him uh, kind of talk tournament with us. Uh, it's a good time. And, you know, uh I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's it's March Madness. You know, this is this is fun. This is good times. And um, again, you join us on uh, in our Westlaw Pirates tournament challenges, both men's and women's. Uh, all that information is up on our website, westlawpirates.com. Uh, come on in, have some fun. It's good times. Uh, before we go, um, you know, we not to sell short shrift to uh, softball, lacrosse. You know, this is. Uh, you know, really kind of meant for the basketball um, the first week of March Madness. Next week, we will get back. We'll talk, um, you know, lacrosse had a tough trip out to North Carolina, but then came back with a big win over my dad's alma mater, Stony Brook. Um, you know, nice little trash was talked between me and my dad, uh, who had absolutely no idea that <laughs> was game was happening until I started talking trash at him. Um, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, next time. Want to shout out uh, Ryan Deacon, 157-pound uh, wrestler, won the Big Ten Championship again, uh, his third Big Ten Championship in a row, um, and you know now going on to the NCAA tournament, um, and I guess nine wrestlers uh, for Northwestern are in the uh, are in the NCAA tournament, uh, which is awesome. But, you know, Ryan Deacon being the number one guy for the Cats, uh, you know, should be right in there uh, as that, that tournament goes on. Yeah, they're, they're wrestling, like, obviously, like, right, Deacon certainly, like, a lot to watch heading toward 
the NCAAs. Wanted to mention fencing also. Um, we had kind of tweeted it out. The Midwest Regionals happened over the weekend. Sky Miller, who just, again, if you know one name with Northwestern women's fencing, no, Sky Miller. She's going to be one of the greatest we've ever had. She's an all-timer. Um, finished second in Sabre at the, at the Midwest Regionals. So she's definitely going to NCAAs. It's unclear at this point if if any other Wildcats are going, waiting for kind of an update from fencing. Um, hard to know exactly how the scoring shakes out on all that and everything, but if we get an update for that, we'll let you guys know. And then just to reiterate what Sam said earlier, we are very much aware of the run that lacrosse is on right now, and that Stony Brook win was a, a massive win in a stretch where, right, they played 3-2-6 and six and beat 3-6. and six. It's just like Sam said, this is... This particular weekend, you know, this particular pod needed to be about hoops and and specifically women's hoops. And now it's time for the spring. Uh, So with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, Once again, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions and uh, find information about the Westlaw Pirates Tournament Bracket Challenges. Uh, Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.